0: <laughs> nerd, 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 nerd. <laughs> but then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away.
1: Listening to Crush on Radio, a weekly podcast about being a music fan and all that entails. Hosts and music geeks Richard J. Anderson, Andrew Marvin, and Matt Healy talk about what they love, what they don't, and most importantly, why. Hey Hi. guys. Good morning. Hey. Good morning. This is our first morning edition.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I feel like. Uh, what's his name? Bob. Ah, um, oh, dang! I forgot his name. I want to say Bob Evans, but that's the guy who makes the uh, biscuits and gravy
1: i don't know who that is
2: I, I could go for some breakfast right now <laughs> i yeah uh,
1: it's almost it's noon edition for rich and i
0: yeah it, it's eight o'clock edition for me
1: <laughs>
2: well i mean it this is it's it's basically the morning edition because i only woke up about less than an hour ago <laughs>
1: yeah as you do <laughs>
2: as you do as you do mornings are not my time hmm. oh well
1: yeah i did a i did a a month long yoga challenge at my yoga studio and it was 7 a.m. every day and it was really awesome because uh, I'm not a morning person but that was really good motivation to get up and out of bed early in the morning and I really enjoyed it but since, uh, since that challenge ended, ended, I have fallen back into my old sleeping late habits which I'm not too pleased about but what are you going to do?
2: <laughs> Wake up early again.
1: Yeah, I know but it's not that easy.
2: You're preaching preaching to the choir. I have, a full, I have a full-time job. I shouldn't be, you know. It, t- it takes work to drag myself out of bed for that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I work in the evenings, so it's it's not conducive to getting up early.
2: Oh, yeah. I believe you. I, I, I've done that. So.
1: <laughs> episode three.
2: Episode three. Where we episode talk about three. <laughs> three. Where we talk about our sleep schedules. And we talk Yes.
0: About- <laughs> <laughs> it's the most interesting podcast ever. Sleepcast. <laughs> <laughs> a crush on sleep <laughs>
1: Huge crush on sleep
2: <laughs> <laughs> But what we are going to be talking today uh, Eventually is falling in and out of love But before we talk about that I guess we should talk about our, our picks
0: Actually before that I guess I, uh, I did want to um, make a couple of uh, corrections From the last episode Follow up Yeah Because I, I, I apparently like to inadvertently lie <laughs> so um one was actually really minor and I actually like threw this in the uh the show notes but I don't know if people saw it but um uh, uh when I was talking about Jacob's letter last week I said that uh in the uh the thing where the Norwegian sailors drowned uh because of uh, or the sailors drowned because they were uh es- escorting the uh king, the uh Norwegian royalty I said it was uh uh fifteen hundred ninety one drowned. It was actually fifteen hundred nineteen. So um, I know that that's very important because you know if you're like you know well almost sixteen hundred people died that's horrible. But oh it's just over fifteen hundred and eh, whatever
1: <laughs> details.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then the other one is uh, when we were talking about the uh, producer royalty. Um, rich said rich was saying that uh they don't and i i corrected him and it turned out we were actually both right because in general they do but uh we were talking about steve albini and he actually has said and i'm reading a quote here i don't take royalties because i am ethically opposed to them as a means of compensation i think they unfairly siphon money from a band who has earned it it is patently ridiculous to work on a record for a couple weeks in a secondary capacity and get paid for it in perpetuity I prefer to set a price for my time and get paid like anyone else who works for a living. So there you go.
2: And this is why Steve Albini is awesome. Except, well, maybe not even except for the whole refusing to work digitally thing.
0: Yeah, I can kind of actually get behind that. Honestly, I I do like the warmth of tape, and I mean, as long as it's like you know, as long as it's mastered properly for for um, a digital medium, it'll it'll turn out great.
2: And we're getting into an area that I really don't know nothing about. So. Oh
0: okay. <laughs> nerd, 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 nerd. <laughs> That's basically what you heard, huh?
2: <laughs> I, I I understood the words. I got some of the def- I got some of what you meant by uh by context, but that doesn't necessarily mean I understand.
0: I see. Yeah.
2: But you know, I'm I'm halfway there. Okay. Okay. So, since, I guess, we've traded off every time, uh, it's your turn to start with the picks, I guess, Andrew.
1: Okay, so we're going to start with my pick first, huh? That sounds good. All right, so uh, my pick this week is an album called Death by Stereo by Umphreys McGee, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. And um, this record came out last year, I believe and it's a little bit different from <clears throat> excuse me from their their previous record Mantis which came out in 2009 in the sense that Death by Stereo is more of a collection of songs uh really good songs in my opinion but a collection of songs whereas Mantis in 2009 was much more of a cohesive whole and kind of a a piece of music that was kind of designed to be digested in one sitting. Um, whereas this album is more a series of good songs kind of put together on one album. And uh, I really like it. This album in particular, I think only two albums have come out since I've become an Unfreeze McGee fan. And this album in particular really helped me appreciate the production of this band in the studio. It's a six piece six-piece band. And this album in particular really helped me appreciate their their skills in the studio. Um, you have a lot of nuances, and because there are so many instruments, there's a lot going on, and it can be a very dense sound. But they also, they know how to, they have mastery over a wide range of musical styles, and, and they really, I think they really do a great job. And one song in particular, um, we're going to talk about the floor in a minute, but um, one song in particular, I don't know if you guys spent any time with it, but Deeper, which is um, a song that I had heard them perform live in the past and I wasn't a huge fan of it because I thought it was kind of boring and repetitive and then when they went to put it on this album they added all of these great string fills in the background um, that really just turned the whole song around for me and I really love it now because of just the the tasteful way that they inserted those string parts and uh, it just gave the song a new personality to me so the song I really wanted to focus on was The Floor which is my favorite Humphrey's McGee song Like I said before, this band is capable of of doing a wide range of styles and, and musical genres. They can do jazz. They can do progressive. They can do um, the really jammy type stuff. They can do acoustic. You know, they're very versatile, and they're really great musicians. And I've had the privilege of seeing them live many times. And um, so The Floor is my favorite song, and I think it's really just a great Umphrey song in the sense that it really emphasizes all six members of the band and it I love the dynamics of it. There's the quiet sections and loud sections and the raging raging sections. And um, I love the bass line, the melodic bass line in there and the piano in the background and especially the vocal delivery is really powerful. And this is a great song for when you're cruising on the highway and it's late at night and you got the windows down and it's quiet except for the music that's blaring from your from your car stereo. Um, so I've got a link to a, a live version or two in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, why don't I get your guys' opinion and then I'll kind of expand from there if need be.
2: Okay. I, I, I didn't, uh, first of all, I didn't actually get to the song you're talking about first deeper, which, and I feel bad about that, but, uh, oh, that's okay. Yeah. I made it through actually the floor is the song of uh, the songs I've heard that I, I like the least. I was really impressed by the lead off Miami virtue Uh Okay. Maybe I just it's that what that really fat synthesizer sound in that track.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, that's that's just what I gravitate to.
1: Yeah, that song has a real sort of I don't know, I'm not too familiar with eighties music, but it gives me an eighties sort of vibe. Um and based on the music that I've your music that I've heard, Rich, I think that that makes sense that you would gravitate towards that song. That's a good song too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I did pick up yeah, you know, these guys are ridiculously talented. I'll I'll grant them that. Um and the production is really good as well. There's, You can pick up everything. It, it, there's a lot happening, but it's not... Yeah, it's a dense sound, but it's well-engineered, I guess is, the good, is a good way to put it. There's a, lot, right. can, there's a lot happening, but it's not just turning into mush.
1: Right, it's not muddled.
2: Yeah, which is incredibly hard to do. Uh, they remind me a little bit of capillary action in the lushness of sound capillary action um, is, I'll be honest, this is borderline nepotism. They're a friends band. (laughs) So um, maybe, maybe I'll get John Pfeffer as a guest on the show. One of these days, but uh, I I don't know if I if they're really something. uh, We'll have to work out the ethics of this, but uh, (laughs) whether we can, I can go and, Use this as a vehicle to promote the stuff of people I really, really I know and have known. Anyway, <laughs> rat hole. Um, this <laughs> I have an is,
0: nepotism episode.
2: <laughs> yeah, there we go. But what I get from both of these is just this lushness, this texture, and I think and it's something that's so very hard to pull off, especially if you're an independent musician. Especially, and I don't know, I, this didn't—they're not on a major label, are they?
1: Um, I don't think so. Not a major, major label. They're primarily a touring act and they do, and I can talk, um, about their, their live act in a minute, but yeah, they're primarily a, a touring act and I don't think they're on a major label.
2: Yeah. I just checked on, uh, on Wikipedia. It's ATO records, whoever they are.
1: Uh, oh they're... yeah. That's, um, that's Dave Matthews record label. One yeah. I was about hmm Okay. Yeah. The you
2: know, I, I don't pay attention to labels much, so I yeah, I get on that. Um, yeah i do i respect this is an album i want to listen to more and at the very least just i'm impressed by the technical wizardry of it. I'm impressed by the playing yeah it's 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 something that's very different for me i'm not i don't usually go for a band bands of this sort right this could be this could be a gateway
1: nice i think that um yeah it took me a very long time to understand this band because I'm a member of a of a message board, actually, a Dave Matthews Band fan message board, and the the Dave Matthews Band aspect of it has fallen by the wayside and by the way, in in the recent years, and we all just kind of congregate in the non DMB section. And um, this was one of those bands that you know ninety percent of the of the regular posters would just rave and rave about. And I tried multiple times, and I just could not get it. And I think because that's partially because in the beginning I didn't really understand, or I couldn't really find hooks a lot of the songs, um, because they can be very progressive, and uh, I had a hard, t- and the songs can be quite complicated. Um, I had a hard time finding something to latch on to, and I think what it took was finally seeing the band live, I think in 2007, at the, uh, at the Echo Project Festival in Fairburn, Georgia, and I caught part of their set and I really enjoyed it. And just seeing that, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, just seeing the band live and having something visual to associate with the music is really helpful. So they are, they can be um, difficult to access, but uh, in my opinion, obviously it's it's worth the effort. So Matt, what are your thoughts?
0: Um, I, like it's it's kind of funny because like I, I think like like Rich, it's um, a little out of my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Like, um it it like cuz i i mean i i do i'm not a i'm not a fan of like the the jam band scene really and i i know right. that they're kind of you know at least at least tangentially in there but yes but um like rich i i um i liked uh Miami Virtue quite a bit especially that synth bass that was like really cool and mm-hmm. um the one that really leapt out at me was uh Booth Love uh yep. I think the third or fourth track on there cuz it's, it's number 4 yeah yeah i thought it was like really steely dan <laughs> And it it's like one of those ones where like I just kind of was like, you know, because a lot of times when I listen to music, I, I'll i do stuff, you know, and have it in the background, but like still be concentrating on it. You know what I mean? Right. But that one was the one that just like kind of grabbed me and, and, and pulled me in. Yeah. Uh, the floor, um, I, I liked um, a lot too. Um, I did like the changes in style, which I, I mean, it, it is kind of a, a prog thing. Right and, and the, the I I really liked the the beginning where it has like the was like minute and a half instrumental bit mm-hmm. and then the um near the end the uh, really like kind of metal part too yeah like at about four and a half minutes in yep yeah um some of the middle was a little like oh okay to me but I mean like there was you know there's enough going on that it was it was it was pretty
1: cool so. Good. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I think that, like I said before, this the thing, the word that would come to mind. I think when describing Umfries is that they're very eclectic in the styles of music that they can handle. And on this record, in particular, you have a diverse. Whereas Mantis was much more of a a progressive album, and you had the uh, the the 11 minute title track, and you know it was a lot more aggressive and uh, progressive. And on, by contrast this album, you have a lot of different... Let me try to get the track list here. You have a lot of different sounds, whereas... Um, so you've got that synth eighty sound with Miami Virtue. Um, Domino Theory is kind of... I don't know what style you would call that, but it's kind of... Really, it's a it's a pretty heavy straight-ahead rock song. And then whereas Search 4 is more in the progressive style. And then you have Booth Love right after it, which is kinda of like this Steely Dan sort of porn groove sort of sound. And um I think they handle all these styles really well, which is a testament, like Rich like you were saying, which is a testament to their to their musical abilities.
2: Right. I'm a sucker so. for I'm a sucker for really good musicians. Even if they're working in a genre that I don't normally appreciate. Yeah. I just I don't play an instrument except for my cheesy synthesizer, which I can barely play, but Mm I, so I, I, but I, I know really good musicianship when I hear it, I guess.
1: Right. And I think that, you know, the floor is the, the album is uh, really only 10 tracks and the last three are bonus tracks. Excuse me. And um, I kind of, I kind of, I'm not big into vinyl or anything like that, but I kind of see, it being split right down the middle where you have those first five tracks and the floor being like this great sort of raging closer to the first side of the album. And then it transitions right into Wellwishers, which is much more laid back uh, and kind of a smoother groove. And um, you and know, I thought the- that was a great pop song, by the way, the Wellwishers. Wishers, yeah. That song, uh, I love the horns in the background of that song. It, they, can't, they released it as a single without the horns huh. before, before it came out uh, on the album. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I thought, I think the horns was a great touch. It just really helps the groove of it. Definitely.
2: I'm a sucker for horns too.
1: (laughs) I know. Love a good horn section.
2: Yeah. Keep that in mind Um, if you're trying to impress me with your picks. Yeah. I will keep
1: that in mind. But yeah, I think that this album, it's not my favorite Umphreys McGee album, but it is the most recent. And, um, I think it is a little bit more accessible in the sense that you can approach each song individually. Whereas on a, song, on a uh, record like Mantis, it's best digested uh, kind of all at once because this, it's very cohesive. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I think that if you, if you guys and the listeners, if you take the time to kind of put the time in to get to know this band, they really make it worthwhile for the fans, particularly with their live act. They're touring constantly, you know, 150 or 200 shows a year and as i mentioned i think on the last episode they record all of their shows so that you can download um the soundboards of the concerts that you go to and the concerts that you don't go to if you want and uh they're just really i don't i can't think of another band that is more conscious of giving their fans a great experience like they they're constantly posting you know free tracks to download free live tracks and stuff and they um got a lot of fame for their for their mantis uh pre-order campaign where the more pre-orders they got, the bigger and better the bonus features got. And so they're just they're really worth the time. If you like good musicians, um, and you don't even have to necessarily like necessarily like prog rock or like jam bands. So I'm not a huge jam band noodly grateful dead person either, but Umfreeze manages to they have the structure and the musical ability to uh to keep me hooked. So I think if you put the time in, I can't really think of a of a band that's more worth uh, the effort. So, cool, good talk.
0: Cool. I actually do have one 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 question though.
1: Go for it. The band name. What does it mean? Anything or because the band name, from what I understand, um, it was originally called Humphreys McGee, and I think that because the band has gone through several lineups. Uh, in there, and they've had this lineup for since about two thousand two, I think. Uh, but before that, so they've been around since ninety seven. I'm trying; I think it says in the the name should be in the Wikipedia page somewhere. But anyway, I think they they named the band after somebody's uncle or something. Had the name Humphrey, and they just kind of strung it together with Humphreys McGee, and then. For some reason they needed to drop the H. I think there was a I don't know if there was a band with a similar name. That sounds kind of unlikely, but it started as Humphreys McGee to to my understanding, and then uh they shortened it or changed it to Humphreys McGee and it's kind of stuck ever since.
2: Maybe they just someone didn't have an extra H for a marquee. <laughs>
1: yeah, that could have been it.
2: Like oh that I don't know. Uh, sorry, we we're we're shortened H. Uh, leave it. That looks good.
1: It's <laughs> oh, fine. You can still it's still pronounceable.
2: I don't know. Definitely cool. Definitely, uh, this is uh, something different, which is exactly why I started this show because I wanted yeah. to just expand my wheelhouse. Just don't, don't expect me to start listening to fish anytime soon.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't listen. I can I could probably name like two or three fish songs, and that's about it. So,
2: well, you're better. Than right doing better than I am. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, I still like the
0: joke. What does a fish uh What does a fish fan say when he runs out of weed? I don't
2: what, know. What does it say when you runs out of weed?
0: <laughs> where am I and what is this terrible music?
2: da waka right. Do you want to take this next one,
0: man? Sure, sure. Um, it, I uh, chose uh the, the album is Love by Fetus. And it was kind of like a conversation that Rich and I had where it was like sort of like, you know, t- kind of talking about, you know, actually, you know, getting like newer music on here. Because, like, I know, like, the, the past couple things I've chosen have been, you know, kind of on the old side. And so this one's all the way from 2006. <laughs> I, I, I'm really, you know, creeping up there. <laughs> just, I don't, I don't know why. Cause I mean, I actually do listen to new music and all, but I don't, I don't know. I just, I guess it's just that I've had more time to digest. But, um, Anyway though, um, this is probably my favorite fetus record, um, And just because this one has like a, a really like orchestral, industrial sound, I mean their fetus is usually pretty industrial anyway, but this one just has that like a lot of like orchestral hits and stuff. so I really like that. And the, the lead track is like my favorite one of my favorite fetus songs ever, and it's called "Not Adam." I've thrown the link to the video in the show notes, so you can watch it. It's it's really pretty cool. Um, it's actually tagged not safe for work, just because there's some like computer generated boobs in there, very briefly, but whatever. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just love the the way this one builds, and you have the the the, the creepy harpsichord at the beginning, and Then you, it like just builds into this just mania of of sound, and it's just wonderful. And I mean, the the entire record is really really good. Um, Stuff like uh, "How to Vibrate" um, is a really great song as well. Um, It's one of the like like I said, it's probably my favorite Fetus record, Um, and it's just a really cool track and a really cool cool album and the really cool sound and i uh, uh jg thurwell is the the guy behind fetus and you might know his name if you're a credit reader because he does all of the music for venture brothers on uh, adult swim which, which is a really really awesome show um but you probably don't need me to say in that but um so he's he's done all the all the music for Adventure Brothers. A lot of it's from his um, I think that's the Steroid Maximus project that he does. He has a few different bands that are all basically just him. <laughs> um, Steroid Maximus is the more big band. Um, Manorexia is more instrumental, and then Fetus is more industrial rock kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, then he has like a few other like one off things too that. You know, and, and the thing is is speaking of the names is like up until about the nineties, like each each record would be by a different band name that had Fetus in it. So there was like Philip Fetus and his Fetus Vibrations was I think the very first single. Uh there's uh the famous uh You've got fetus on your breath, uh, scraping fetus off the wheel. <laughs> so there's Yeah, a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was like sort of the one thing is uh, the, the fetus I've got like a single that's by fetus art terrorism but um, yeah I, I just I, pretty much all of uh, fetus's records are uh, just wonderful and worth checking out um, and they each kind of morph a little bit in, in sound um, so yeah it's, it's really good and yeah so uh, what would you guys think did you guys think it was as really good or are you wrong
2: Uh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. (laughs) I'm, you know, it, it's, it's kind of disappointing because Feeders are one of those bands that I've been sort of, they've been on my list to check out just on principle. Everything I've heard about them kind of says that they're something I should, if not like, but respect. And finding out that J.G. Thurwell did the music for the Venture Brothers definitely does not hurt that. But just something, I have this weird, relationship with industrial music in general that i respect it some of it i really do like but a lot of it just kind of leaves me sitting here going yeah yeah um how long is this check my watch realize i'm not wearing a watch (laughs) um and that's there's nothing on the album that i heard that turned me off but there wasn't a whole lot that turned me on as it were Hmm. i hope that makes sense it made sense in my head
0: yeah where it's just sort of you just kind of go like oh this exists that's good right
2: yeah and i don't know if maybe i just wasn't in the right headset for it or if it just maybe just this particular album didn't really catch my attention I'm certainly not going to write feed us off entirely, but maybe this wasn't the best entry point. Mm. That's just how I feel.
1: Hmm. Well, I listen to very little industrial music, and uh, so I found this to be a challenging record as well. Um, and kind of like Rich said, I didn't dislike it, and in fact, I kind of I like the music. For the most part, a lot. Uh, I think the part that made it less accessible for me was the lyric content, um, particularly on the uh, the hook that you picked, Matt, not Adam. I I actually enjoyed the the stop your raving because the neighbors may be listening section,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but the the rest of the lyrics sort of didn't turn me off. Just struck me in a way where I wouldn't voluntarily choose like I wouldn't unless I was you know feeling dark and, and gritty I don't think I would ever reach for this album because a lot of my listening is um, you know you kind of you reach for either you reach for music that is going to change your mood or you reach for music that's going to match your mood and I don't think I would reach for this music to change my mood because I wouldn't want to um you know get depressed voluntarily or something <laughs> um, and at the same time i wouldn't i don't feel this kind of i don't know um not gothic but you know serious as cancer heart attack tuberculosis uh tender flesh is cold and stuff um you know i'm never sort of in that kind of dark mood uh Mentally or emotionally, so i I'm having a hard time of and maybe you can tell me when what kind of mood you have to be in in order to want to put this record on um but for me, it's not something that I didn't dislike it, but it also doesn't feel like it has much to do with with me if that makes sense so when what makes you want to put on this foetus record
0: um, i I just kind of. I don't know it's like for me it i i just love the sounds of it and i get lost in it and i mean sometimes mm-hmm. like if i am like i i don't do a whole lot of mood listening i i find i i once in a while like if i'm like like if i get like really depressed or something i might like put on like you know uh barnes and barnes's spaz chow record which you guys probably don't know but it's i i really like it <laughs> and um maybe that'll be a future pick but um but a lot of times, like it, like sometimes, like if I'm like kind of like up or, or frustrated or something, it, it can be kind of cathartic, you know. Because I mean, it's I mean, like like you said, the lyrical content, especially this song, is really dark. I mean, you know, right. with the the wish I could turn the clock back when I heard your neck go snap.
1: <laughs> yeah, I noticed that part.
0: Yeah, that that's that's not exactly a a, a friendly, happy lyric. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, sometimes you just get like frustrated. If, you know if people are being stupid and you're just like you know i don't know like sometimes you can like have have in your brain like where you just like want to feel like a badass for a little bit but (laughs) but yeah i i I don't know i i for me i i just really really dig this and i actually like it's kind of funny because i actually had a fetus dream like a long time ago it was actually kind of what spurred me into it is like um I had a dream where I was visiting – or, like, a friend of mine that I have only know th- uh, th- online, his name is Lee. Um, I had a dream that Lee was visiting me, and we've never met in, in person. But um, And it was, like, kind of funny because Lee is, at, both in, in the dream and in real life, a huge fetus fan. And I remember, like, talking with him and being all like, yeah, I don't know, like – fetus is okay but a lot of their stuff kind of sounds the same because uh up to that point that. yeah <laughs> and i had up to the, that point i had i had found a couple of videos on on the fetus.org their website and the singles did kind of have a sa- samey thing and he just kind like dreamily kind of just like glared at me and was kind of like huh i see and like shortly after that i ended up like picking up the uh the EP that uh, Not Adam, the, the teaser uh, EP, the teaser single for, for Love and fell in love with it. I was just like, oh my God, this is right. I'm sorry, Dream Lee, I was wrong. <laughs> and I told Lee about that and he thought it was hilarious. I mean, really. Um, one of the other things I found really, really interesting is like from listening to the Fetus records, I, I figured that Thurwell is one of those guys who can just play anything and, you know, just pick up an instrument and like, whip out like some really awesome stuff and um there's actually a documentary on fetus that comes with the uh i think it's on the limb album um and it turns out that pretty much all of the fetus pardon all of the fetus stuff is uh built from like tape loops and samples and he can't actually like play anything which i thought was like really interesting Hmm.
1: so it was kind of cool
0: yeah it's like it was like funny because i mean i just thought he was like you know I mean, he is a musical genius, but I thought he was, like, a performing genius as well. And it's, you know, it's just, like, sort of, like... Because I'd see, like, live videos, I'd be like, well, that's weird, why is he just singing? I, I thought he'd be playing something. And it's because he can't. <laughs> mm. So, I, I so I, 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 guess this is the, uh, the very first bomb on uh, Crush On Radio, so...
2: <laughs> well, I
1: like wouldn't more. call it a bomb. Well, you know, but, I mean, it, it tanked with you guys, you know, it's well i mean like i said i have I have very little experience with industrial music uh, the only album I think that I could claim is industrial is are you guys familiar with stabbing westward a little bit a little I, bit okay
2: I have one song by them on the clerk soundtrack, but that's it <laughs>
1: okay so yeah i don't you know where i've where I discovered this band is back in the days of Kaza where um they would do uh Music videos or music tributes um to video games, so they would like they would kind of compile all the cutscenes of certain video games together, and one of these compilations had a stabbing westward song in the background, which I really enjoyed so anyway, um, I only have their self title album, and i I don't know enough about industrial music to know if this is a good industrial rock album or if it's just a guilty pleasure album. Uh, of mine, but when I want to when I am feeling some angst and kind of want to just you know, rage a little bit I tend to put on uh, Stabbing Westwards so, and you know, it, it scratches the itch uh, and I think just the songs are a little bit uh, catchier in my opinion uh, compared to the, the songs that I listen to on uh, Fetus's album um, but I can see that you know, there's a role for uh, industrial music for me I don't know.
2: Cool.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: and and honestly, to tell you the truth, I, I like I wasn't sure what you would think of it, Andrew. Just because I mean I know that it is kind of harder than what you normally do listen to, but I'm I was honestly surprised that Rich didn't like it, especially just because like one of the the reasons why I chose not Adam is that the uh, the riff really reminds me a lot of Gut Feeling from Devo.
2: Why did I not pick that up? I'm gonna try listening to that again, but. I don't think okay. it's going to change my opinion. <laughs>
0: Probably not, but but yeah, I was like, because one of the things that I've always loved is, I, I mean, that Gut Feeling is one of my all-time favorite Devo songs. Um, and uh, one of the things I've always like fantasized about doing is doing like like some sort of like big like orchestral Devo like concert or something. And because partly because like I would love to hear an orchestral Gut Feeling with like. You know, the cello's just sawing away on the riff on that extended intro. And in a way, like, Not Adam kind of scratches that itch for me. So I was just sort of like, I, I think I was predisposed to like it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, 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 I'm not willing to give up on Fetus just yet. I want to try something else. I just don't know. I don't, like, I, I, my promise, I don't know if this is really the best in- entry point for me. For me. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, also my experience with industrial is a little limited. Um, Nine Inch Nails, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have, I do like some Einster Zende Newbountain. And who wants to uh, send an email correcting my pronunciation about on that? Please do so.
0: (laughs) It's funny because like, I've never really clicked with them. (laughs) And it's lucky because I have no idea how to pronounce it. I think it's like I, I always just kind of go like Azran about <laughs> kind of mumble it, and, you know. So I'm lucky that they aren't like my favorite band or anything, because otherwise I would just be like, "Yeah, I, I, I like that that one that one band with the really weird, hard to pronounce name."
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're curious, if you want to get like a start on indie, new Noibauten, I just I'd recommend. Oh no, Tabula Rasta's got one good song and I can't get into the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe the album Perpetuo Mobile is, is where it clicked for me. But again, some of their stuff is really good. Some of their stuff is not so good. But I, I can't say I'm a huge fan, but I do like some of their stuff. Let's just put it that way. Cool. We'll have okay. to come back. we we'll have to come back to that. This would be like you know, genres we get, genres we don't get. Kind of deal. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I guess that leads to my pick, which is the the new single by Japan Droids, and that's called "The House That Heaven Built." And I think that's all the introduction you really need. Here's a here's a clip. Androids, I I just I'd heard their name thrown around, and like, what the hell kind of band does a band named Japan Droid sound like? So I, I went out and I picked up their first album, Post Nothing, which again that's another that's a title that just makes me go, I have no idea what this could possibly sound like. <laughs> and I put it on, and there's this song right off the top called The Boys Are Leaving Town. And I at least got that this was supposed to be. So, and I, I, from the title alone, I could I could figure out what that was supposed to be. This because, as anyone who's listened to a rock station in their childhood knows, you all, we all know the boys are back in town, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just arrived.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm listening to and there's it's this assault of punk buzzsaw guitars and this pounding drums and the these distant uh lo-fi vocals but something about it just made me go wow these guys are good so i was really excited so I, i to find out that they have a new album coming out this summer and they have a new single now called um the house that heaven built and uh It improves the parts of their debut that i thought needed improving but keeps that raw sound that kind of kind of lo-fi sound and the weird muffled vocals that i think define them which is really all you could ask from a second album that's just a refinement of what made them interesting in the first place Mm -hmm. and i'd love to hear what you guys think
1: you go first matt
0: okay um i i actually kind of like this and i had the same problem that you had with the name like just because like uh i'd kind of heard of them in the background you know it's like this is my first experience with uh pan droids, but I'd, I'd heard of them and so i i basically the, the 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 band that i had in my head was probably you know kind of a you know a kind of electro maybe maybe something kind of like a Uh, does it offend you yeah or maybe you know something risen from the ashes of electro clash so i was i was kind of surprised when i like you know put it on and get this like wall of guitar which actually was really really awesome i mean i really liked that wall of guitar (laughs) um it's funny that you mentioned the the muddy vocals because that was sort of like with me as i sort of like i kind of wish they were mixed a little louder but you know it's still pretty cool sounding and and I mean, like, honestly, I um like I, I, I think I've mentioned it before that I do work in radio as like my my uh my day job. <laughs> and I'm I was surprised that it's not getting more airplay. I, I I actually just cause I was curious, I uh I looked up uh the spin's report on one of the industry kind of things that um I have access to. And it honestly, like outside of one of the um satellite radio things uh it's getting like you know maybe like one or two spins a month on a couple of stations since april when it came out and i just was like kind of shocked because it seems like it would be a perfect fit on something like a uh an alt station or maybe an uh, active rock even maybe you know so i i just was shocked i thought it was like a really good song but i thought it was like accessible too in that in that kind of rock way that i i was I was honestly surprised that it, like it wasn't a, uh, it is it, it's not it's not burning up the charts as they say. So um, as it turned out, the B side of the single uh, "Jack the Ripper" that one didn't really click for me as well. But that's kind of the nature of B sides. Well, sometimes B, B sides are often either like the best thing ever or just sort of like oh, this is to keep the single from warping. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. My turn. I liked these songs. Uh, I thought they were. I think the word that would come to mind is fun. I thought they were fun songs to listen to, and um, they put me in a pretty good mood once I gave them a few listens. Um, and I do have a stigma against bands that are two people, and especially when those only two when those two people are only guitar and drums and no bass player. Um.
2: I, I take a little bias, <laughs> I'm totally
1: biased there. But uh, and I guess for me, as a uh, quote unquote musician, it's hard to not enjoy. But it's I find it easier to appreciate um, a band like Umphrey's that has uh, that that are really instrumentally focused. And whereas with Japan Droids, it's just guitar and drums, which is cool. It's just guitar and drums and the guitar is kinda, you know, dun 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 And so musically I didn't find too much depth um in these tracks. But I think it um they compensated with the vocal delivery and the energy of the songs themselves. And uh so I think in that respect, um, I enjoyed these songs and I would be interested in listening to more uh, Japan droids, but it didn't have the, the instrumental or the musical depth that I normally listen to in my wheelhouse, as the, the theme of the episode is going, mm-hmm. um, but it was good. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I heard it. I'd like to, I'd like to hear more.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the bias against two, two man, big two man groups. Let's, let's call it for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Um, because there's there's this band from Ohio called the Black Keys, yes, and I they I got a cha- I got a picked up. I tried again. Uh, for in 2010, I was able to get a hold of a, a split seven inch that they did with Devo. And I'm like I, oh good, I, there's a black key Black Keys. I've been meaning to check these band this band out forever. I've heard so many good things. I don't know if it was necessarily the B side. I mean, the fact that it was just this this throw off for a a, a seven inch or what, but the song is called Ohio, and it just didn't really click. Hmm. And you know maybe it's just that. But there's another band that I know. of. I think they've actually expanded their lineup. But I saw a band called Hella many many moons ago. Yes. And they're much the same. They were guitar and drums. Right. And they're on the album they sounded really, really, really good, if a little repetitive and you know, not something that stands up to a lot of long listening. Mm-hmm. But when I saw them perform live, I'm just going standing there watching them play and bang up the drums and going, Why the hell am I here?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I uh with the Black Keys, I haven't I haven't gotten into the Black Keys yet. Um I've heard very good things and I actually saw I think they were on CBS Morning Sunday or whatever that show is and uh they seem like really good guys. You know, they're kind of just down to earth and kind of shocked at their own fame. Mm-hmm. Uh and I've heard a couple of their songs and they're they're good, um, but I haven't gotten into them too much. And then as far as Hella goes, I saw them open for Les Claypool, I think, at one point. And it was excruciating. <laughs>
2: well, that, that's so reassuring. My, it wasn't just me.
1: Yeah, my, my uh, guitar-drum duo, I don't know, because I think you could... I mean, I'm not saying that you need a bass player in order to have a, a good band, but I think that it takes more than just... Because you only have two people, you only have two instruments, so the sound, relatively speaking, would be kind of sparse. And I think that with these band with Hella and uh Japan droids and what are the other guys? That we just the said black,
2: the black keys. The black keys, <laughs> yeah.
1: The black <laughs> keys. The the tendency is to kind of to fill all the space by, you know, strum, 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 drum drum drum, 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 drum. And that doesn't I have a harder time getting into that wall of sound because it's it's thin for me, even though it's 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 dense as far as, quote-unquote, not noise in a negative way, but in in terms of noise. Um, But there's no depth to it in terms of a full sound that you would get uh, with the inclusion of other instruments or with a bass player. Uh, And I don't know. I think it's, it's tough to pull off, but I think that you could if you took the time to kind of maybe insert more melody or you know, rely less on the, on just, you know, there's only two of us, so we gotta, we have to rage and strum, strum, strum. I don't know.
2: Um, I'm not going to argue on any of those points. I think you are hit on the head. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. I think with
2: much... the... Oh. oh, go on, Matt.
0: <laughs> oh, I just was going to say with, like, the Black Keys, too, it's kind of interesting because, like, um, I didn't like the first couple records just because, like, to me, they they kind of went the instead of going the route, they kind of went the sparse, kind of more blues guy route. And it was kind of like a low rent Led Zeppelin kind of thing. And I'm not really a Led Zeppelin fan anyway, but it just seemed to be kind of like the the worst aspects of that. But then like their last couple records, I I guess they've gotten a lot of like, Flack about going like arena rock or something, and I thought those ones were really, really good. So, I'll
2: go back and give them another try. It might have just been Ohio, Uh, yeah. Which also, also I think, is speaking of Ohio, that might also be why they're such down to earth guys and so surprised by their fame. There's something about bands from Ohio that humanizes them,
0: Well, aren't aren't they from Akron too?
2: Yeah, they are from uh, Akron, where the rubber meets the road. (laughs) <laughs> or met the road. They haven't made tires there and got to hell long. Wow.
1: The, yeah, I we think spent like the, almost
2: an hour talking about this stuff. <laughs> good.
1: It's not bad. I was just gonna say that I think the black keys, like you said, Matt, they do have sort of a bluesier um blues rock sort of feel, and I think that helps me a little bit um to have that to latch on to. Whereas with Hella, I don't know, I think it's more more metal and with Japan droids, I don't know what genre you would classify them as, but sort of having the the gritty. I mean, when you think about the blues, I can see like just having that banging drum and the and the bluesy guitar. That kind of works a little bit better for me than just um, just the raging guitar and drums.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's tough to pull off a duo. Yeah,
2: this I I think we could segue into this into falling in and out of love. We we we, we like glanced at it and all we'll talking about some of these act, some of these uh picks already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wanna know who wants to lead this off.
0: Let's see. Can well, guess... bring it back
2: to me? Or yeah you yeah yeah there? why not? Uh, okay. Go for it.
1: Um so I'm going to talk, I'm going to try not to talk at length here, (laughs) Uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit about Dave Matthews' band because um, this is, for me, in in my musical repertoire, this is a band that I can uh, say quite a bit about as far as falling in love with them and then getting away from them and then even coming back. So I'll give, I feel like there's a stigma around Dave Matthews' band fans and by association the band itself because with you when you when you think about Dave Matthews band you tend to think about frat guys and drunk on the lawn and people screaming for watchtower and crash into me and and it's unfortunate because that can that undermines a lot of what I love about the band and when I go to a Dave Matthews band show unlike I think the majority of the audience I'm there to listen to the music not to you know get drunk with my frat brothers uh but so the first three albums of the Dave Matthews Band are, in my opinion, are real masterpieces. They were produced by Steve Lillywhite, and he really knew how to drive the band and how to really get the best out of them. And Under the Table and Dreaming, Crash, and Before These Crowded Streets in particular, um, are just great albums, and you know, they're some of my favorite albums of all time to this day. So then... After those three albums were made, the band went into the studio to record their fourth album with Steve Lillywhite, and the sessions did not go well. I'll just gloss over this quickly. Um, the sessions did not go well, and so they abandoned the sessions and went on tour with uh, a handful of incomplete songs. Um, and you know, I wasn't there, but the the word in DMB lore is that they they were tired of Lillywhite driving them to work so hard and. You know, they were kind of tired after putting out those first three great albums. So they went on tour, and then Dave flew to Seattle and met with Glenn Ballard, who's a pop musician, a pop producer. I forget who he produced, but the result was they wrote, you know, 12 songs in 10 days or something weird like that. And the album that came out of that every day was a very strong deviation from the first three albums. It was very electric. Dave played electric guitar for the first time. It was very pop, synthetic, really slick production. Um, and it was really easy for them to make because the songs came so quickly. And then the band flew out afterwards to, uh, to record the songs. So it was easier to make. And I think that translated to a lack of depth in a lot of ways because they didn't work as hard, so they didn't dig as deep in the, in the songwriting process. So that album, even though it still went went to number one or whatever on the charts because of um, how big their fan base is, it's it's regarded as not their best effort in the in the fan base. So while that was going on, the unfinished Lily White sessions from the fourth album that they had abandoned were leaked, uh, and you can read all about that on the internet. Um, but they were leaked, and they're beloved by the hardcore Dave fans. Um, it's what everybody wanted, uh, you know, and, you know, this is what we wanted. And then they gave us this shiny pop synthetic thing that was every day. So the band, to compensate for that, the band re-recorded um, the Lily White songs in with Busted Stuff, which came out in 2002, which was kind of appeasing um, and gave more slicker production of the Lily White songs. But, you know, it, it kind of got the job done. So I became a fan after Busted Stuff was released uh, in late 2002, early 2003. And so I had, for the most part, I had a bunch of really great albums that I really loved, and uh, I even enjoyed Every Day because I wasn't conditioned to not like it at that point. Um, And then it wasn't until 2005 when Stand Up came out that uh, I got a new record while I was a a fan and stand up was not good at all. It was produced by Mark Batson who's a hip hop producer and you know I won't go into it in too much detail but it's just a very shallow record and there's no depth to the th- no depth to the songs and um it's just there's nothing to it. It's very um unfortunate, shall we say. So in 2009 um I should say before I get to that Leroy Moore who's the saxophone player in Dave Matthews Band died in 2008 and uh, the album that came out the following year featured uh, was kind of really dedicated to him you know and his his horn parts and his spirit and that was Big Whiskey and the group Brooks King and this was produced by Rob Cavallo who has produced I want to say he's produced Green Day or something something like that uh, and this album in my opinion was better um and it was more on the right track. It sounded more like Dave Matthews' band. It wasn't quite up to par with the first three albums, but I thought it was solid for the most part. It was more acoustic-oriented, and it had more depth to it, Uh, so it was better than everyday and stand-up in those ways. And now uh, we're waiting for... The band is actually back with Lily White, uh, which is huge. And uh, um, the new album is coming out in September of 2012, and expectations are very high and it's tough being well not being a Dave Matthews Band fan but it can be it can be tough when you're when you're so in love with a band and it's easy to become attached to their musical output and you feel like because you identify so much with this band you you don't want them to put out a poor album because that almost not kind of like it almost reflects poorly on you you know like these are the this is the band that i've trusted and have grown up with for several years and, and have loved and when they put something out that's not good it, it's a real letdown and it can hit you on a really personal level and so as a result of this kind of we had the first three albums that were great and then as a result of Everyday, Busted Stuff, Stand Up Bid, Big Whiskey which were significantly less awesome than the first three classics uh, my fandom has lessened from the level of, of a level of obsession that I had when I first got into them, where, you know, they were all I listened to. And I think, but it's for the best, I think, because it has helped me, because I've sort of removed myself a little bit from associating so much of my identity with being a Dave Matthews Band fan. It's easier to appreciate the all of the albums in retrospect. Um, so I can go back and listen to Stand Up Now and not be upset about it, just kind of think that, wow, this is an interesting record and represents an interesting time for the band. Um, And so I think it's important to, to sort of let go of the fact that sometimes your favorite bands are going to do something, well, often they're going to do something that's totally different. And it's not that those albums are necessarily less valuable it's that those albums might have less to do with you um, sp- personally but I don't know it's they have go ahead Matt uh, go ahead rich help me out
2: no um, I, I this wasn't one of the bands I was going to talk about in my story but uh, actually, I have two bands, but uh, I have a similar experience with this amazing Japanese band called Poly Six, where, uh, and I think Matt backed back me up on this because he's yeah. a band, too. They put out from their first album to um, uh, they put out so many albums. I gotta double. I gotta actually look this up. <laughs>
0: See, I think I think Absolute was last with Ko. If that's where you're going,
2: yeah. But uh, actually, yeah. It's glad you mentioned Absolute Poly Six, but. Uh, from uh, their first album, let's see. First PDSRM, Noya Eno. Noya Eno. For is the Young time, Electric Pop? N- n- no, now is the time. Yeah, For Young Electric Pop and National P, now is the time. Whatever, screw the numbers. Um, they put out this string of incredible records, culminating with, after one minor misstep, with something called We Ate the Machine. They have. N- and, I love that album to death, and then they put out Absolute Poly 6, which is the last album with their longtime keyboard player. Eh, I'm, I never, I didn't really dig that one. The good cuts were really good. The rest of it just, hmm. And then their keyboardist left, and uh, among the fans, there's all that it. She didn't die, like your like the J. Matthews fan saxophonist. She just said she wants to quit, and she left on good terms. But how are they going to, this is, there are this amazing electronic rock new wave kind of band that really focuses on electronic keyboard sounds, and we're all just wondering how the hell are they going to go on without this? Are they going to get a new keyboardist? The answer is no. And they put out uh, an EP called EEP (laughs) and i I listen to this and I'm just going, oh, oh, my worries have been uh, are over. The, the, this sounds really good. And then the album, oh no, it's heavy policy, It came out, and you can't see it, but I'm just putting my hand over my face because <laughs> I don't. I don't know what Matt thought about it, but it's just, just that was just oh no, 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 no. Um, it lost a lot of what I really loved about the band
0: i'd agree it's it's it anything poly six is gonna be pretty good but it was the least pretty good
2: yeah (laughs) and i can't talk about their most recent album in context here because it's a really weird one yeah so let's just let's just skip it
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, 15th p is kind of all over the place
2: but it does have that really awesome Mechamania Boy cover with Mark Mothersbaugh on vocals.
0: Yeah, that one actually does rule.
2: Okay. But that's my that's that's my story of uh, the band that disappointed me. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that just to recover my point that I lost there at the end, I think that, I mean, we all know that falling in love with a band is great, but there can also be some value to falling out of love with a band in the sense that you, you can uh, be free of you know, being bummed out when they put out a bad record. And, and now that my, now that my, we'll say, not that my fandom of Dave Matthews Band has lessened, but my obsession with them has lessened. I can, you know, when this new album comes out, you know, it would be great if it was a phenomenal album. But, you know, if it's not, I'll appreciate it for what it is. and And I'll still have those first three records. And I'll even have the other records. And it's just, Part of what makes the band interesting is seeing how they evolve over time and, and looking at their different periods and, and eras and stuff. And you know, you can't expect them to to be the band that they were in the nineties, you know, here in the twenty tens. So right. keep the big picture in mind.
2: Exactly. So I'm actually if it's okay with Matt, did I go
0: uh I have, Yeah, go go on ahead. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, go ahead
1: on. Forge ahead.
2: Yeah, There's, I'm actually going to talk about falling in love with a band and falling out of love with another band. Um, and the band I fell in love with, I'm talking about them because I actually realized the process that was going through as I fell in love with them. Like, And the band is Sparks. And Sparks are a band that can be really hard to get into because they have not only... What is it? 22 of 23 albums?
0: I think 23. Yeah. Wow. Something like that.
2: Yeah, they've been around since uh, 1969 and they put out their first record in 72. And <laughs> they're still working on stuff. And so uh, they're uh, they have a lot to get into. They're very and they have about five distinct peri- five or six distinct periods of very different music. So the I've had people getting nudging me to check out Sparks for years. Um including you, Matt.
0: Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: to the point in fact you're you're such a hardcore Sparks fan that on Kitty Sneezes you did a series of reviews reviewing every Sparks album.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's I, I threw that in the show notes, maybe you did too. I don't know. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: And even while reading these, I'm just going, uh I don't know if I want to check these guys. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Uh after the uh, the Sparks project wrapped up, I finally got off my ass and checked out what is generally considered by many to be their their best '70s album, "Kimono My House." And I put it on. I'm going, okay. Yeah, this town ain't big enough for both of us. is pretty good, but I don't know. I, I I can't make out some of the lyrics, and I don't know how I feel about the the, the sound, but. You know, something else, it, I kept going back to it every now and then, and I don't know what listen it was, but suddenly I'm listening to Amateur Hour, and suddenly I go, holy shit, he's singing about losing your virginity. <laughs> that was literally the reaction I had, because you know, he's singing about puberty and losing your virginity, and suddenly the what I was hearing made sense grow Push in the Hinterlands, the perfect little setting for the one night stands. And as I listened on, I realized the entire album was just full of these ridiculously incredible lyrics, including This Town is Big Enough for Both of Us. And then I suddenly got really started paying attention to the music, too. And I don't have the really the vocabulary as I'm not a musician to talk about the music as it is on kimono. But uh that's when I started to finally start digesting the rest of their stuff. And I think that the two I I also remember finally realizing I heard Sparks before when I go to a an eighties dance new wave night occasionally here in Philly, and they played Cool Places, which is which was their biggest hit, one with Jane Wheedler from the Go Go's. Like, oh yeah. But I've also heard beat the clock there and I, so I got around to checking uh, Number One in Heaven, which was just oh wow. When I when I listened to that album, I just that that clinched that I had fallen in love with this band permanently. And then there's so this is but these are all very different sounding songs by a band that is still well. It's the same two guys and the and the. People around them have changed over the years. And so finally, the last album of them I checked out before committing fully was Little Beethoven from 2002. And as as neat as the the leadoff Rhythm Thief was, it was how do I get to Carnegie Hall, which is pretty much just piano and vocals that won me permanently. And you'll find links to all these songs uh, in the show notes. But I just, there's just I, the the depth of what I was hearing, the depth of what they've done. I think I thought the bands that give me the mo- have the best chance to turn me into rabid fans have a rabbit hole for me to fall down mm-hmm. and fall down happily. It's not to say there's not there's stuff I don't like. Interior design.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no one likes that record. <laughs>
2: but every time I listen to some of these records, I just pick up on something new. And I, t- I'm a sucker for that depth and that originality. Uh, I had a conversation with someone where I talked about the three things that get my attention to music. Um, it's a, uh, And if I can remember them off the top of my head, it was, uh, I love Bombast. I just, I hope that makes sense. But I like, I mean, there's a time and a place for something that's quiet, too. But I I love when something gets bombastic and in your face and tries to end attention-getting. I I have ADD, okay? Um, I like... Clever lyrics. I love clever lyrics, which Sparks has in Spades. And I like hearing something that's unusual, that ha- that does something different with sounds, that uh, does something unusual with arrangement. Just, I I crave something that's novel. I guess. Mm-hmm. So I hope. And Sparks gave me all of that in spades. So, I, I'm kicking myself for not getting into them earlier. And I think Matt will kick me, kick me too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, the funny thing is, is like, uh, like um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, do the other half of your thing. But the funny thing is, is like Sparks is going to be my uh, falling in love band too, just because they are difficult to grab onto. And cause I mean, I've got like a pretty good story about, about falling in love with sparks as well. So I'll, you know, so I, I, it's funny. This is going to be a sparks heavy episode, I guess, but yeah.
1: I know nothing of sparks.
2: You will, you will. <laughs> uh, so we'll save that. Why don't you, why don't you tell your Sparks story? Then I'll tell my falling out of love story.
0: Okay. Cause yeah, I, I did the same thing where, uh, have the falling in love band and then the falling out of love other band. So, so I guess we'll split this up then and we'll just kind of do it. But, um, yeah, like like you were saying too with um amateur hour, I had kind of a similar thing. And like for me, the the line that I I love in that one is, "It's a lot like playing the violin. You can't start out and be Yehudi Menuhin." Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, it's like it's just one of those ones where it's like such a great line and such a weird name drop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially too to fit into a song. I mean, it's not like Yehudi Menuhin isn't exactly a melodic name. I <laughs> don't really know. <laughs> so but anyway, here here's my sparks story. And um it's um kind of uh with alongside the Sparks project, um I, I did that with um Isla, who is actually she's my ex girlfriend, but we're still like basically like best friends. Um so that that part is good, <laughs> you know. Okay. But basically Basically when we were together, it was like funny because like um I Isla, I, like a lot of people, like and, and myself included, will go in phases with bands. And um she'd she'd loved Sparks for a long time, but um whatever for whatever reason she had lost a lot of the records or maybe they were maybe they were coming out again. I c I can't exactly remember, but um for uh whatever reason when we were to um together, kind of in the in probably beginning of our, our you know, not not really full on beginning, but I guess beginning middle of our relationship she hit a, a Sparks wave, and so um, we would go to the record store and she'd buy you know, one or two Sparks records, and then she'd throw them in the car radio because um, she would drive drive us around a lot, just partly because I can't drive but also just because it's fun to go places and, and whatnot, it's fun to go to cool places, in fact see what i did there yes (laughs) but um anyway though so um she would throw the sparks records in the car and i would listen and i would just be like what in god's name is this crap (laughs) and it was like kind of funny because like she would she was kind of trying to get me to dig it but i was like It was also just because, you know, she wanted to listen to him and I, you know, she's the one driving, so it's not like I'm going to, you know, but it was just like kind of weird because like, not only that, but I'm trying to figure out what on earth she likes about this weird band with this like weird fake opera singer guy and Hitler on keyboards. (laughs) it's like this like weird kind of thing and it's just like okay uh it's just some guy singing in a falsetto with like this weird opera thing and whatever and so she you know like keep playing different records and there's like a few of the like the um 80 the early 80s ones that I was a little bit curious just because I knew that um David Kendrick from uh, this second incarnation of Devo uh, had played drums on as well. And so I was kind of curious about that just to see, you know, because partly, you know, it's, you know, not only does like Isla really like them, but also apparently like Devo saw something in them that they would, you know, poach their drummer. And so I'm listening to it and I'm like, I, my my reaction in this period too, I think it was, uh, I think it might've been Womp the Sucker, which I think is the f- First or second David uh, Kendrick record was like, well, it's kind of like total devo, but not quite as bad because <laughs> i'm I'm not a fan of total <laughs> but um and also it came out like you know six years eight years prior, but um anyway though, so basically, so there's like maybe month month and a half or so of you know lots and lots of sparks and me just going. Oh, why is she into this weird band? <laughs> and so she ends up like getting a a, a DVD of um the Little Beethoven concert, uh, live in Stockholm. Um, and it's basically the first half is the Little Beethoven record in full, and then the second half is sort of a a greatest hits kind of normal concert kind of thing. And she says, "I just got this. This is going to be the the last time you'll have to listen to Sparks. This is the last one that." You know, if you don't get it after this, that's fine. You know, it's it's cool. I'll, I'll stop playing Sparks for you. And I was like, okay. Because I still kind of wanted to get my head around why she liked this awful band. And so uh, she plays it. And Rhythm TV, I'm like going like, okay. How do I get to Carnegie Hall? Okay. What are all these bands so angry about? Okay. Married myself. Okay, that's kind of funny. Right, cowboy. Okay. And then it hit. Like, the song is uh, My Baby's Taking Me Home. And it's this really, like, like it's a really cool song where, I mean, the, the only lyrics except for the spoken word bit in the middle are just, uh, Home, my baby's taking me home. And it's just sort of, like, layered upon itself in, in this, like, kind of rhythmic pattern. And it clicked all of a sudden, I got it 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 honestly was it was just like a light a bolt from the blue light switch flipping on any other of those cliches that you wanna want choose it was it was exactly like that, and it was just a perfect moment for me, and I was like, "Oh my God, I get it. These guys are awesome, and I think part of what what it was was the um." I made reference to a spoken word bit in the middle and um, I'll, I'll read that for you. Cause it um, as we walk through the morning rain and the skies are clearing and the streets are glistening streets named for new England trees, a rainbow forms, but we're both colorblind, but we can hear what others can't hear. We can hear the sound of a chorus singing home my baby's taking me home and, and it goes back into that riff and the thing that i love about that bit is that it's both like you can read it both straightforward and as a parody of that kind of thing because i mean there the the it is kind of ridiculous i mean you know the uh a rainbow forms but we're both colorblind i mean that's sort of like you know it, it's such a put on of that kind of thing but even though it's it's a spoof of those kind of cornball, really, really cheesy lyrics. The sentiment is still genuine, and it was that kind of combination of the two, um, along with the the great melody of the song, and just the the percussion and the way the the they use like the phrase as not just as a lyric but as, as an instrument. It just all clicked, and from then on. Like for the rest of the, the DVD, I was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome! This is awesome! This is awesome!" And now I own all the Sparks records and did the Sparks project, and and yeah. But it, it was just like really interesting, just the way that it was an instant thing, but it, it took forever.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is that's pretty crazy. I don't think I've ever experienced that period. I mean, I don't think I've ever experienced that. Not not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, and then all of a sudden getting it. I mean, even with Unfreeze, I had a hard time getting into them for a long time. And when I saw them live, I really enjoyed it, but it didn't, but it still took me time. I enjoyed the live act, but it still took me time to sort of digest the studio albums. And for me, it's usually with some of my favorite bands, like with Morphine that we talked about in episode one, from the first note, that I heard that band and I was like, I am obsessed with this band. This is going to be awesome. And then I proceeded to, you know, find all of their records and, and so on and so forth. Um, and it's either like that or it's very gradual. And so that's I find that very interesting, Matt. That you had that that period of complete inaccessibility and then all of a sudden a singular moment that kind of opened the door for you. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and I mean the funny thing is too is like I mean like I think if I had just you know, bought a Sparks record on myself. Uh, I, I would have went, oh, huh, and and stored it away. Like, I mean, I think it it really did help that I had like immersion therapy to my you know, you know, uh, aversion to Sparks.
1: <laughs> kind of, you know, <laughs> right. It's like that scene in Mister Holland's Opus where he's talking about the John Coltrane record, mm-hmm. and Richard Dreyfus is talking to his wife, and he's like, somebody gave me this John Coltrane record, and I played it, and I couldn't stand it, and so he played it again, and he played it again, and then he couldn't stop playing it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did the same thing, actually, with the Shags. I played it, and I thought, wow, this is terrible. Played it again, played it again. And when I started hearing my pal Footfoot Foot in my head, at, away from my music listening, I have said, oh, no. I <laughs> don't <end>, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not familiar with the Shags... It may be for the best, but they are the uh, – I'm going to make this short so we can get to the falling out of love part, but <laughs> they are the best worst band you'll ever hear. And they have a really strange and compelling backstory that should be – just look them up on Wikipedia.
0: Definitely. If that,
2: it's, yeah, if that doesn't get your interest slightly piqued, there's no hope for you.
0: Yeah. What do I you mean? You've never heard of the Shags? <laughs> That's a I don't Sorry. I don't know if any of you have uh, listened to the Dead Milkmen, but on the their uh, Stoney's Extra Stout Pig record, there's this song where there there's like like in the in the background there's this rant from like Joe Jack Talcom about the Shags.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I finally got to get to that album. Okay,
0: a lot of people slagged it, but I thought it was pretty good.
2: Okay, well, I do I do like the Dead Milkmen, but we're going down a rattle. hole <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah
2: a port a port mayday i think we have an intro okay um, um so falling out of love now this is where it sort of gets this is where it gets sad um, mm-hmm. the band it, i fell out of it, it in lo- so, i'm sorry
0: <laughs> put in some violins
2: yeah <laughs> the band i fell out of love with is pink floyd and I'm gonna couch this here by saying I didn't fall completely out of love with Pink Floyd. I still, I still love Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which may as well be a completely different band. The first Pink Floyd record, mm-hmm. and I still like you know some of the stuff leading up to their famous '70s albums. Metal is still very good. Um, you know some of the '60s stuff post is hit or miss, but that's just the nature of the beast but what I fell out of love with was very specifically the wall. And as you know, I was raised on, on classic rock and roll and you know, you're listening to the radio in the car and you, you hear on the rock station, you're going to hear Pink Floyd and lots of it. So I, I, the the first band I really got into, you know, I pick I had dark side of the moon. I wish you were here. I had the wall. And it's all songs I. It, it's almost all songs I know. I mean, they played everything or it's every track from Dark Side of the Moon on the radio. And you know it. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Whether you like Pink Floyd or not, you know the song Money. Mm-hmm. Which also, you know, granted, I, I have Dark Side of the Moon hasn't gone into hate territory. It's just more like, and eh, when I want to listen to it, I'll put it on. But I got to. You know that the, that baseline for Money is really good.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: So, The Wall, I got into, I I go in phases as well. And for a very long time, I was really into The Wall. And I would listen to it a lot. I got really, so far into it that I was, I have, I still have it too. I still have the, the movie on DVD and I would watch that on a somewhat regular basis And have any of you seen the movie of The Wall?
0: I haven't. I've seen about half of it on on VH1 of all places when I was about 12, 13. I've been meaning to go back to it.
2: Part of me wants to say don't bother, and part of (laughs) me wants to say just do it so you can see you've done it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, ignorance of your culture is not considered cool.
2: Right. But it's this it's a terribly oppressive movie to watch. It's sort of the cinematic equivalent to being punched in the gut over and over and over again because the imagery and the symbolism, it's all so incredibly heavy-handed. And I, I didn't pick up on this and I didn't pick up on the album has the same problem. It's just so heavy-handed there's no subtlety in it until I listened to it about a hundred thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could pinpoint the moment where I just went, why am I listening to this? But I think, I do remember the fall process was sort of like, wait a minute, so much of this album is based around Roger Waters complaining about how much being a rock star sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I want to say it was the um I'm trying to think of what song it particularly it, exactly was but I want to say it was somewhere around you know, on the first uh, disc of the album uh, um, no it was definitely I found myself cutting parts of the album out as I'm coming home from school because that's when I would listen to them. I'm coming home from high school which explains so much and I'm <laughs> listening to the wall on my disc man and so I'd, I'd go through the first disc and I didn't have a long enough commute back home to listen to the entire thing so I'd cut out I'd start skipping hey you then I'd skip hey you and is there anybody out there then finally I just I would start the second disc at comfortably numb and then I'd skip the show must go on and Going into Flash and Nuts. And I got to I'm getting a lot of the story of this album. And I'm, I'm missing. I'm cutting out all these tracks. And that says something. If I'm still getting. If I'm getting the maximum drone out of this album. And still cutting out all this stuff. I really need to take a better look at this album. And I'm paying closer attention. And so much of it is just for lack of a better term, whiny. Hmm. Yeah. And heavy-handed in its whininess. And then it got to the point where I'm listening to this and I just turned it off and I just said, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep listening to this and listening to this constant pulse of negativity going into my head about how miserable he is about being a rock star, how, how miserable he is that Sid Barrett died how miserable he is that his father died in World War II. And these are all, well, except for the whole being a rock star thing, these are all things that are worth being miserable about. But I don't know if it's necessarily things that are worth me being miserable about. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: It's sort of keep your misery restrained. We don't need a two-hour epic of you being miserable at me. mm <laughs> So I put it aside, and I just – I can't listen to The Wall without suddenly going, why? Why am I doing this? And just a couple weeks ago, on a whim, there was some talk on a, on Reddit about the Roger Waters Wall concerts that he's been doing. He's been going back and uh, yeah. performing The Wall in concert again. And mm-hmm. I watched a really well-put-together bootleg video of it. I'm like, yeah, this is – it's a hell of a spectacle, but it's the, it's still the wall. <laughs> and it's still so much of a punch in the gut over and over again.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I will say this, Matt, though, with regards to the movie, mm-hmm. you need to see some of the animation in it is really good, so it might be worth watching oh, yeah. for that. Have you seen my favorite bit of animation is the lead into. Uh, what shall we do now? Slash empty spaces with these really beautiful. It, it, it's two flowers having sex.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that.
2: Yeah, but yeah. The, the way they're rendered, it, it it looks really gorgeous. So I made it a point while I'm watching that video. Okay, I'm gonna skip to the part of the fucking flowers and, <laughs> and <turn> then <this> <laughs> I'll turn this off because I, I just love. Even with even David Gilmour's guitar playing under that, it's still there's something there. But I think the land, but even after anyway after I stopped listening to the wall, I started looking at the rest of the uh, '70s and beyond era Pink Floyd with a lot more of a critical eye. And and now I I can't listen to I never liked the Final Cut to begin with, but I can't listen to the uh, the two albums that David Gilmour did without Roger Waters like. A momentary lapse of reason in the division bell. I listen to those and I just go. I go to sleep,
0: <laughs> <laughs> hmm.
2: because they. I realize they lack the stuff that made me get into Pink Floyd in the first place. So that's that's enough of me bitching.
0: <laughs> now it's time for me bitching. Yeah.
2: Unless, <laughs> unless, unless, unless Andrew has some commentary because I think I feel like <laughs> we're leaving you out. I feel like we're leaving you out.
1: No, that's okay. I um, I love Pink Floyd. I'm a, uh, but I I'm only really familiar with the, the real Roger Waters era, uh, album Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals, which is my favorite, and The Wall. Um. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just need to take a break.
2: Well, it's been a break that's been about a, a decade, a little over a decade now, and I don't see it ending anytime soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you got plenty of time, so.
2: Yeah. Oh. And animals is just another, is another album I just really I never got into as much. Oh dear. Yeah, I'm sorry. But...
1: Oh dear. <laughs> another episode.
2: I, yeah, oh. I'll just say Sheldon. this: I think it's just it could have stand to be trimmed. I don't think the uh, performances are up to par on that. That that's all I'll say. Okay, Matt, your turn. <laughs>
0: okay. I'm just thinking, like you know, between uh, animals and uh, fetus, are are we breaking up the band? <laughs>
1: <laughs> going to a different network.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh for me um the the big falling out of love story that I have is um uh, a band called uh, Moxie Fruvis.
2: I've heard of them, but I've never gotten into them.
1: Same with me.
0: Yeah, they're um they're a Canadian uh, I don't think they're actually around anymore. Um I think they broke up and uh one of them actually has like a radio show on um cbc radio and there and as like a a fun thing is like if you remember a few years ago when um uh uh, billy bob thornton was like a total dick to an interviewer in canada um where he was like basically like you know he only wanted to talk about his terrible terrible band instead of his movies um that was actually one of the fruvis guys who he was being a dick to so there you go (laughs) Little, uh little bit of, of trivia about a band that no one really knows or cares about. But um, anyway, though, so basically I'd gotten into Fruvis through um, They Might Be Giants because a lot of people were, would say, you know, yeah, if you like They Might Be Giants, you'll probably dig Fruvis. And they had one album in the States, and it was called Bargainville. And that one, like, it was pretty good. I mean, it's, it was a bit like, uh, I mean, they were basically discovered as buskers, um you know the guys who play like you know guitar or whatever in the subway yeah and um basically they'd been discovered as buskers and they have that very kind of you 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 can tell they were buskers <laughs> but it, it kind of worked on that record um there's some kind of like quasi quasi nerd rap kind of thing on there like uh called Video Bargainville, which is where they got the th- the track in there's some kind of pretty stuff like um, the drinking song, which is basically about um, the narrator gives up drinking because uh, one, like he used to be a really heavy drinker and he and his buddy were getting like completely, completely smashed. And the, in, in that inebriated state, his friend like jumped off the roof and died. And so, you know, and it's, I mean, it's like a really pretty sad song. And so, I mean, I ended up really liking Bargainville. And then I found out they had a couple of Canada only albums. And so I ordered those, you know, from Canada. Uh, it was Wood and the B album. Uh Wood was like um Bargainville had like, you know, kind of like it was about like half and half, half serious, half funny songs. And I and I mean funny in that same way that like they might be giants can be funny, not not full on novelty really, but you know witty or amusing, you know, that kind of thing. Um, with Wood, it was all pretty much all serious stuff. And again, some of it was, like, pretty. Uh, and some of it was, like, pretty good. And then every once in a while, I still get, like, a line or two in my head from it, um, even though it's been since 1996 that I've heard it. And the B album is basically all the... all. Goofy, funny songs. And so I I ended up listening to these a lot. And it's kind of funny because like basically uh my uh one of my best friends, Ben, was kind of the same way. I think he was the first one to actually buy Bargainville. I can't remember. But anyway, like uh he like he he liked the B album okay, but he hated Wood. Um and you know, that that's okay. So he was already kind of off the Fruvis train, you know, with those records. But then um uh um they came out with their uh the next album, which was You Will Go to the Moon. And I got this one alongside um the same I think it came out the same day as uh Factory Showroom did from They Might Be Giants. And I got them both in the same package from CD Now because, you know, that you know, it's 1996 and so you know c now hasn't existed for about that long (laughs) but anyway though so i got them both and what a one-two punch of suck (laughs) like factory showroom is easily my least favorite they might be giants record and it was like it was made all the worse because i'd had like a bootleg tape of like you know a lot of the songs that they had been like kind of workshopping for it and Basically, about like half of the songs on Factory Showroom I really like, and the other half are kind of "eh, but the thing is is like basically all the songs that they left off were amazing, so that was kind of like, uh, and, but then, but the thing is is like as as kind of annoying as Factory Showroom was, at least it had about like you know half of the songs that I really really liked, and the other half I could I was like, okay, "You will go to the Moon" was just. Everything about, like, every worst tendency that Fruvis had was on that disc. Like, they were doing, like, it was a, it was another one that was, like, kind of, like, half serious, half funny. But the funny songs were just really, really ham-handed and and stupid. Like, the it opens with a song about, like, the Michigan militia from the point of view of one of the militia guys. And it's just, it's not... It's very smug and just sort of like I'm putting this person up for ridicule and but without any actual compassion or anything, which I think you need when you do a a put on like that, um, especially in a song. You 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 kind of need to have at least some sort of like for your character, I guess. And the the serious songs were just. So schmaltzy, and it was, and this is basically how bad that record is. I, I like tried my best to like it. Like I get, you know, I would listen to it because I was like, Fruvis can't be this terrible, and it turned out that, they, that it was, and they were so bad, they were so bad that I ended up selling all of my Fruvis records, and I basically haven't listened to them since. Wow, and it was just so bad and every once in a while i miss having bargainville but not enough to actually even go and download it illegally (laughs) you know i mean that's 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 like a a level of lazy there that you know it's like i could i could expend like three clicks on this but eh. (laughs) so so that is my thing is like if you do want to get into fruvis do not get that record. Do not get "You Will Go to the Moon." It is terrible. It it was a turd. Okay. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> turd pressed in plastic.
2: <laughs> Makes me think of uh, yeah. The only the only thing I have in my collection that's a turd pressed in plastic is Roger Waters' Radio Chaos. <laughs> I'm not even gonna talk about that any further.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the good thing is is well I guess it's good or bad, is it like I don't think Fruvis really has any fans anymore. So, you know, on one hand we won't get like the nasty letters like uh you know going, How dare you diss them? But on the other hand we won't get the controversies. So I I don't know. I mean it's I guess it's kind of a double edged sword of my hatred of such an obscure band. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, if you if you do have some negative comments to leave for Matt or for me or for Andrew, um, certainly you can uh, use our contact form on crushonradio.com. com. Or you could, but if you have something bad to say, don't leave a negative review on iTunes. We, it would.
1: Yeah, please don't be do
2: good. that.
0: Yeah, you can you can leave us a five star review and say and then say in the text that you know, this podcast fucking sucks because they hate Moxie Fruvis. <laughs> well, one third of them does. The other two thirds have no idea who they are.
2: <laughs> well, I, while looking them up while you're talking, I, I did know. I, I knew the song "My Baby Loves a Bunch of Authors."
0: Oh yeah, I like uh, who brought the cat with Margaret Atwood. That's one yeah. of the lines. <laughs> well,
2: I didn't know which, that far, that well, but I knew the song. I've heard it before.
0: <laughs> yeah, which actually that kind of goes to show you like how much I listened to Froufus back then. Because like I said, I haven't listened to them since about 1996. And I could call up that line within like seconds, you know. So that's kind of, that's kind of fallen hard, isn't it?
2: <laughs> it? It says a lot about how our brains get wired when listening to this stuff.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like whenever I learn something new, it pushes something I used to know out of my head.
2: Like when you took that winemaking course and you forgot how to drive. Simpsons references. Is...
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were drunk. And how? <laughs> it's one of my favorite bits. <laughs>
1: okay. I think that's a show.
2: I think it is. So remember, you can uh, check out, again, the contact forms on crushonradio.com. Leave us a, re- a positive review on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter, Crush on, at Crushonradio. And show you, yeah. at Mark. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't. know. Do we need to pimp our sites? Because we've done that the past couple times, so, and it's and it's in the show notes every time. So
1: true.
2: Still couldn't hurt. Uh, okay. I'm at I'm Rich Anderson, and I'm at SandsPoint.com. S A N S P O I N T, and I'm also on Twitter at SandsPoint.
0: I'm uh, Matt Keeley. I am at kittysneezes.com, That is k i t t y s n e e z e s dot com. Um, I'm also on uh, Twitter at uh, at kittysneezes. That's such a weird f- way to say it. And I I'm also it? on, I, yeah. It's like uh, with the, the double at makes me like go like. Eh. And I'm also on Tumblr at kittysneezes.tumblr.com, where you can see such things as an anime-style drawing of uh, Japanese schoolgirls pretending to be the residents. I saw that. <laughs> Isn't that
1: awesome? <laughs> totally awesome. And you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Andrew Marvin, and you can find my website at AndrewMarvin.net. All right.
2: Th- thanks. Very thanks, much, guys. guys. Cool. Yeah, I thought. See that was... you next week. Yep. Bye, bye. Bye-bye.